I am a first child. If you know anything about what that means in birth order, uh, it means I am the responsible one. I am the rules-oriented one. I believe in following the rules to the letter. At least I did when I was a child. I did not ever wish to be in trouble. Consequently, I at least appeared always on the surface to be following the rules. It was very important. I was always happily patted on the back for my ability to follow the rules. I followed them all. I was, you know, you know, when you say somebody was a Boy Scout, I really was, <laughs> you know, and uh, I lived those laws more or less uh, in my life. Uh, the scouting law, the law that my parents taught me and laid down for me, there was no room. In fact, uh, I remember when I went to my first high school party, uh, and they handed me, you know, uh, some unbelievably cheap beer. I don't know what it was. They handed it to me, and it burned my hand just to hold it there. And it was straight out of the refrigerator, mind you, but it burned my hand because and so, uh, uh, so I held it in my hand because, you know, I wanted to be sure everyone knew that I was at the party and I had this beer in my hand and could for the entire night hold that beer in my hand. None of it ever went out. I did try a sip just to see. <laughs> you know, of course, it was a high school party, so it was probably the cheapest kind known to humanity, maybe Milwaukee's Best or uh, some other kind of... Uh, so I, I know what it is to follow the rules. I have lived a life by trying to be the guy who follows the rules. So much so that by the time I was in my 20s, uh, I still hadn't had a beer. Uh, and uh, it wasn't until I was 54 years old that I actually, without, well, I can't say without guilt, tried my first beer, 54. I had to hit 54 before I could have my first beer and even then, I felt a little guilty for enjoying it. Uh, because apparently, I don't like cheap beer, but give me a good, solid stout, oatmeal stout that knocks you off your feet. And I can drink two or three sips before I'm knocked off my feet. So uh, there you go. So maybe there was a good reason why I never tried or drank uh, beer. So. This whole love-hate relationship with grace and, and law is one I understand, grace and rules, because having lived under the rules, I assume that unless I lived up to the rules my entire life, there was no room in the kingdom for me and God. There just was not any room in God's kingdom for me. And in my 20s, I became kind of rebellious and followed whatever rules I wanted to follow. But in, in, the, in public, everybody thought I, I lived by the rules, you know, but not always so much behind, the, you know, out of the public eye. We won't go there because you don't, you know, that's, uh, that's enough. Uh, but the truth is, it has been for me most of my life a love-hate relationship between the rules and grace, between the rules and the gift that is God's love to me. You know, uh, I, you know, I thought as long as I followed the key rules, but which are the key rules? You know, is it the Ten Commandments? They seem pretty cool. But, you know, if all you can follow is the Ten, Com Ten Commandments, let's just be honest, that's like the barest level of nothingness. Uh, come on. 
I mean, well, we already fail as Americans most of the time with you shall have no other gods before me because we've got the flag, we've got guns, we've got uh, our party, whatever it is, Republicans, Democrats, you name it, we've got that. That's above everything else. Um, you know, we are quicker to do anything else. We've got all these other gods before God all the time. So we've already failed there. But if we talk about whether we worship some other named God, like, you know, well, Buddha isn't a God, uh, you know, so we don't have to worry. Allah is just the Arabic name for God. So even the Christians who speak Arabic call God Allah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, not everyone you hear saying Allah is Muslim. Many of them might be uh, Arabic Christians. Um, which are, intriguingly enough, much older than English-speaking Christians, just so you know. Uh, Arabic is a much older language. The whole dance that we have with rules, who's in and who's out, because isn't that what rules really do for us? Define who's in and who's out? And who really gets to define that? Is it you? I don't think so. Is it me? I, I don't think so. Is it God? Yep. <laughs> And I don't know about you all, but the last time I checked, neither you nor me are God. I, I, I don't know. I could be wrong. Call me out if I am. But I don't think any of you or me is God. Consequently, who gets to define who's in and out is not us. So if I stand up here on a Sunday morning, on some Sunday morning I'm standing here, and I start telling you who's in and who's out, I want you to call me out. I want you to stand up where you are and say, James, hold on just a second. I'm afraid you've crossed a line that only belongs to God, not to you. You don't get to say, those people aren't going to make it. Those people aren't good enough. Those people are bad. Because as fast as I'm pointing this one finger at everybody else, remember that old adage? As fast as I'm pointing, these three are pointing right back at me. And this one is pointing at God. I don't know. It looks like a little, you know, well, there we go. God, right there. I'm ready. I'm ready for my quick draw. The bottom line is rules are a beautiful thing. And for the most part, they keep an orderly society. And they keep the church sometimes. Now, Jesus said ultimately there's two rules. Two. These are the top two. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, period. Those are the two biggies. You know, everything else has got to fall under there. So if somebody tells you something other than loving God or something other than loving your neighbor, all your neighbors, then they're not telling you the Christian truth. They're telling you their truth. And let's just be honest. It's always much more comfortable to define the insiders and the outsiders. Why? Because I can always be better than somebody else. There's at least one other somebody else that I'm always better than. I don't know who they are, but, I, you know, I, I can figure it out. Keep looking around. I'm better than that homeless guy because at least I've got a job. Does that make me any more precious to God? Not even a little bit. <laughs> I mean, the truth of it is rules are definers. And we need some rules. I want to tell you right now how important rules are. You know, thou shalt not kill, that's a pretty good rule. 
you know, for us to define ourselves as the judge and jury and decide who's going to kill somebody else or who deserves to die, that's just not our gig. So there's some good reasons to have some rules. But on the other side of that rulishness is the need for grace. I want to share to you a passage uh, from Romans. I'm very fond of that Romans. Well, maybe not so much as fond as I... As I'd like to be. Sometimes Paul is complex, let's just be honest. I, I can't always get what the boy is saying to me, you know, uh, but all right, some of it I sort of get. At least I hope. I pray a lot, I read a lot, I think a lot, I hope a lot, and I trust the Spirit. So here we go. In chapter 7, we could go to lots of different places in Paul. Paul's got a love hate relationship with law and grace, too, you know. But here is what he says in chapter 7 of the book of Romans. But now we have been released from the law. Oh no. What do we what, what, Does that mean throw away the law? Does it mean throw away the rules? I don't know. Well, he's going to go on. That was the that wasn't the last sentence that he says. We have died with respect to the thing that controlled us, which is sometimes what rules do. Let's just be honest. Sometimes they keep us from doing the things. Remember Jesus you know, did a couple of rule-breaking things. When he was hungry on the Sabbath, what did he do? He picked food. You know what the rule said? Don't pick food on the Sabbath. So he broke the rule. And why did he break the rule? Because he was hungry. And then he used it as a teaching moment to say, you know, you weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. I don't think that you were made for the gospel. I'm convinced the gospel was made for you. And it was made for you for a purpose. We have died with respect to the thing that controlled us so that we can be slaves to the new life under the spirit, not in the old life under the written law. So what are we going to say? That the law is sin? No, absolutely not. But I wouldn't have known sin except through the law. I wouldn't have known to desire what my neighbor has is Wrong had it not been for don't desire what others have, the law. But sin seized uh, opportunity and used this commandment to produce all kinds of desires in me. Sin is dead without the law. I used to be alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. So the commandment that was intended to give life brought death. Sin seized the opportunity through the commandment, observed me, and killed me. Now, that almost sounds like Paul wants to throw away the law, that we live under grace. But he also says in other places how important the law is to help us recognize how much we need grace. We need the rules. But when we use the rules against someone else, now see, this is the challenge. Rules were never intended to be used against someone. They were meant to measure boundaries. If we didn't set certain rules, let me just tell you, we first children know, if we did not set certain rules, bad things happen. Stick your finger in the light socket and find out what happens. Put your finger in on the stove after it's been on for a while and tell me what happens. 
There's a rule, don't touch the hot stove. Now, I was one of the children that mom would tell me those things and I had to test them. <laughs> I had to test them. Now, fortunately for me, I don't bear any, uh, uh, any scars from that, but uh, I could have because I believed in checking these things out. There was a rule. Of course, not when mom was looking because I had to make sure I was following the rules when mom was in the kitchen. I did not touch the hot stove, especially when I was tiny because I couldn't reach it. Too tall. I was too short. But rules can help us. But if you do, religious people become dangerous sometimes when we get rules. Think about all the religious people of Jesus' time. How they would say, these people were in, these people were out. Do you know who were defined as some of the worst people at the time of Jesus? The Samaritans. And Jesus tells a story of what? The good Samaritan? If you were a good Jewish boy or girl hearing that story, you would think, Jesus does not even know what he's talking about. How can you call a Samaritan good? By definition, Samaritan means bad. Outsider. So Jesus tells the story of a guy who gets beaten up and robbed by robbers. And the priest passes by out on the other side of the road. Do you know what he did? He followed the rules. You think that the good thing would be if he stopped. No, that's not what the rules say. The rules say don't get dirty. Don't touch somebody else's blood. That's what the rules said. So the priest was following the rules. Levite passed on the other side of the road. It's not just the priest, it's the Levite, which is the whole tribe of priests, passes by on the other side of the road. Why? Well, not because he was, dis you know, because he was unwilling to disobey the rules. The rules said don't touch bloody people on the side of the road. So sometimes we follow the rules at our own danger. And then comes along the bad guy. Bump, bump, bump. You know, you know there would have be a sinister minor sound coming on. You know, minor music would start playing in the background. You'd know this was the criminal. The Samaritan. <sighs> and what does he do? He apparently doesn't know about the rules. He stops and helps the dude. Now, which one was the neighbor? The Samaritan was the neighbor, not the person who followed the rules. Sometimes we have to break the rules to follow the rules. Because we have to decide which set of rules are the right rules. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or the 613 that our good friends, the Pharisees, followed. Exactly how far you could walk on the Sabbath day. Whether or not you could cook on the Sabbath day. One of the most intriguing things when I was in Israel in the 1990s on the Sabbath, and by the way, Sabbath is Saturday, not Sunday. We celebrate on Sunday, but Sunday is Resurrection Day, not Sabbath Day. Sabbath is Saturday. So on Saturday, you're not allowed, it's considered work to press a button in the elevator. So the elevator stops on the first floor automatically, opens the doors. You get in, then it goes to the second floor, it opens, and then it closes. So if you're going to the sixth floor, it's like a kid gets on the elevator and presses all the buttons because it stops at every floor. And if there are 10 floors, it goes and stops at every single floor. And if you want to go down, you have to wait 
until it's gone to every floor, stopped, and started coming back down again. Because the rules say that you can't do any work on the Sabbath. And work includes touching the button on the elevator. Touching the button on the elevator. So there's a nice rule. But they worked around it. They created an elevator that stops on every floor. It just takes a little longer to get where you're going, but it's after all, it's the Sabbath. It's a restful day, so it's wonderfully restful to go up and up and up and up and down and down and down and down. Can't drive on the Sabbath. So, you know, it's, it's intriguing. It's intriguing the rules because sometimes the rules separate us from God. Now, sometimes the rules protect us from bad things happening. What I want to tell you about rules and grace, gift, is that we need them both. We need rules and we need grace. And that we're so much about rules or grace, we're so quick to point either this or that, but we've got to ask a question, is this rule filled with grace? Does it live into grace or does it break with grace? Is this rule about excluding or is this rule about including? Is this rule about hating? Is this rule about loving? Because you see, in the end, the way those rules work is the rules that have nothing to do with grace got to go. And the rules that invite us to embrace grace are welcome to stay and would probably be good ones to live by. I think the Ten Commandments are good. It's a good place to start, but don't let that be the end. Those are some pretty good rules. Do you remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? What rules are in your life? You have an assignment. You have an assignment. I haven't given you an assignment in a while. I've been epically failing. Someone said to me, James, where have all the assignments been? I said, you're supposed to just get them by inference from my sermon. But I'll give you an assignment because that's my job, apparently. My assignment to you is to look at your life and ask yourself about the rules that you live your life by. What rules? govern what you do. You know, I have a rule about the way I make oatmeal in the morning. I do. I have a rule about how I make oatmeal in the morning. Is there something whack job about that? It's first childishness. It's first childishness. But grace and law, according to Paul, belong together. Do I need a rule about how I make the oatmeal? Well, if I want to maintain my sanity first thing in the morning when I'm still going through the motions because I've only had a half a cup of coffee, yes, there has to be a rule. But if everything's out of place, I no longer hold that against anybody who put it out of place. Who dared to wash the pans and put them in the dish drainer? They do not belong there! No one does that anymore. We do not have any rules about that. The last thing I do before I go to bed, if there is a 
it goes on the stove so it's in the right place. Last thing before I go to bed. Now, if somebody comes in afterwards and puts it in the dish drainer, what? Are you all plotting? Are you all plotting about that? Putting the dish drainer, the pan in the dish drainer? The two of you, you know, there's a rule against plotting against the preacher. Plotting against the preacher, bad thing. Leaving it in the sink, we do not leave dishes in the sink. You know, we have rules about that too, but those are Linda's rules. There are certain things we do that are Linda's rules, and there are certain things that we do that are James's rules. I will not tell you which set of rules are followed to the letter and which ones are not, but mine aren't. <sighs> okay, I'm going to be in so much trouble later on. Rules and laws. So look at your life and ask your questions. What rules are really necessary? Does it really matter where the pans are anymore? No. I told you that one of the greatest lessons I've learned recently is about toilet paper, the over-underhang. <laughs> Listen, Josh was the only one that uses the downstairs bathroom, and he puts the toilet paper under. And it's... Well, whether the inventor wanted it over or not, everyone does it differently. I, 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 I was taught that it belongs over. So upstairs, in the upstairs bathroom, it's over. And in the downstairs bathroom, it's under. And you know, I used to go into Joshua's bathroom, see the toilet paper was under, take it off the roll, and flip it over, so it would be on the over. Oh, so controlling. Can you believe it? Was that rule necessary? It was an important lesson for me to learn. It's not. So every once in a while, I really want to flip the toilet paper around. But it's a reminder of grace. It's a reminder of the fact that the rules are less important than love. And if that's the way Josh really wants the toilet paper to hang, and he's the only one that uses the bathroom anyway, as well as guests, and guess what? We have one of those really easy kind of toilet paper hangers where it's just like a hook that's attached to the wall and you can take it on and off easily. So if you come over to our house and you have to have the toilet paper over, you slide it off and slide it back on and it'll be perfect for you too. Okay, now we know. But I thought it did because every time I put it around, it went back on the other. Okay. Can you see how easily rules can be divisive? And how easily we seem to think that rules matter more than the people behind the rules? Jesus wanted us to see over and over again that it's not about who you are, whether you're a Samaritan or a Jew, even a good Jew, or whether or not you're an insider or an outsider, but that you're all loved by God. And in the end, the rules are about love. They're protect society so we can love each other better. Grace and law. Grace and rules. Rules and grace. So your assignment, look at your rules. If you have some crack job rules like mine, crack-headed rules like mine about where the pans need to be, get over them. Get over them. Because we just need to be grounded in love. Grounded in love. And then we can live out the Christian faith. For God so loved the world, not wanted to give us rules, <laughs> but wanted to love us. 
God became one of us in person. In person. So, good rules. If you're a first child, you'll never get over rules. I'm sorry, no matter how old you are. I still feel ever so slightly guilty when I go to beer and hymns and drink a beer. But it doesn't stop me. Cause you're